Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to Studying the Song. Today I have an amazing guest on the show. His name is Enrique Toral, and he's a classical tenor singer, but he is also a masterful voice teacher. He teaches both classical and musical theater singers, and I invited him on the show because um, I wanted to ask him all about his approach to studying songs, the music, the lyrics, the vocal technique, and to actually have him give us some technical information about singing in falsetto. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the show Town, and the lead role of Orpheus sings in falsetto throughout the show. And I just thought, wouldn't it be super helpful to have a discussion about this kind of singing as more men start having the opportunity to sing these songs and audition for the show? Like it would be nice to get some vocal exercises that would be, you know, helpful in exercising that part of the range and just like ask the questions that I want to know about falsetto because I'm a woman and I don't sing in that voice. So here's a little more info about Enrique. He currently holds voice studios in San Diego, Los Angeles, and New York City. He's a master voice instructor with Opera Neo Summer Festival and Workshop, which is a training program for aspiring opera singers in San Diego, California. He also frequently presents masterclasses and workshops around the country and in Mexico. As a performing artist, he's won acclaim across North America and Europe for the beauty and incisiveness of his singing and for his dynamic stage portrayals. He's appeared on Broadway and with the New York City Opera, Glimmerglass Opera, Cincinnati Opera, San Diego Opera, New Orleans Opera, and many more, as well as singing under the baton of Seiji Ozawa in a concert featured on NPR's World of Opera. He's also a frequent collaborator with contemporary composers and has premiered a number of operas, including the Emmy-nominated triptych opera Central Park, as seen on PBS's Great Performances. You're going to find out even more about him as we dive into his story and get his take on learning songs and singing the truth of the song. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Enrique. Enrique, welcome to Studying the Song. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking. It's so good to see you after all these years. It's so good to see you. Um, I just gave an introduction. Everybody knows about you. I read some of your bio from your website, so they've got that, but... I invited you today because you are not only a masterful teacher, and I had the privilege of studying for with you for a short semester when I was in my MFA program, um, but you are also a performer. You have performed all over the world in opera. You have performed all across the U.S. Your students have done the same Um, You have so much experience. You also straddle the worlds of musical theater and classical music, which I think is so cool. 
And I have some specific questions I want to ask you, particularly about um, some recent musicals like Hades Town, where we're using a lot of falsetto and that kind of right. stuff. So I want to hear your story. And I also want you to walk us through some specific vocal technique stuff. So we're going to do a mashup kind of episode. So if you wouldn't mind, would you start with just how did you come to singing? Like, did you already always know that you wanted to be a musician? Were you singing when you were a child, surrounded by music? Were you supported in this endeavor? Let us in. I don't remember this, but my family used to say that I used to like to sing when I was little. Um, I don't think it really came into my awareness until I was in high school. And um, there was an assembly, as they usually do when they're trying to recruit people into their groups. Um, <clears throat> my high school was an unusual, I guess, or different from other schools in that our, our high school, uh, rather than having the usual like madrigal singers or chamber singers, we had a jazz ensemble of, I think there were four to a part and upperclassmen. And uh, the woman who ran it, uh, Gail Barsoom, was incredible. I had never heard that type of performance, but I was really taken aback for this. And I, and I was like, this sounds so cool. I'm like, I, I, I think I want to audition for this. So I remember going into uh, the choir room and I go up to the teacher and I said, I, I want to audition for the West Express. That's what it was called. And, uh, and she's like, well, how old are you? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a sophomore. And she's like, oh, it, it's only open to upperclassmen, you know, juniors and seniors. So I was like, oh, okay. It's like, but in order for you to be in it anyway, you'd have to have done the concert choir. So why don't you just audition for a concert choir and then we'll just see. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. No really singing experience. I just maybe sang a little bit in church or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and I auditioned and she just kind of gave me this look and she was like, okay, why don't, why don't you come back for the West Express? I was like, huh? All right. So I went in and we had all these like sound, you know, balancing things and singing with the tenors and singing with these people in, in a quartet and can I hold my harmonies or whatever. And then, you know, the notice comes up and I got into the group. So I was like the first one to have gotten in as a sophomore. And that's where my love of jazz started. My aunt also really loved jazz. So uh, okay. once I got into it, then it, it sort of took off. So I wanted to be a jazz singer when I first started out. And um, in college, I even... Uh, dabbled in it a little bit. I uh, at the Columbia Jazz Festival, I sang backup for Bobby McFerrin. Amazing! I, oh my I gosh, know, it's like crazy stuff. And then I opened for Della Ree. She came to Fresno for this concert that, that we had a big uh, thing in the in the summer. It's called Vintage Days. I'm sure you've heard of it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, Della Ree comes in. They bring her in for the closing act, and they're like, "Oh, we need. We, she'd like to have some kind of an opening act." So a number of us that were in school were. I was a freshman, and we were asked to just sing some songs. So I sang some Kurt Vile, and she was really nice. But anyway, oh yeah, I, I wanted to do jazz. And then once my teacher heard me, she was like, and I was an, well, I was an education major because there was no jazz major at my school. So I was like, well, I'll just be a choir director like my choir teacher. And, um, and then she's like, you know, you, you could do opera with your voice. I was like, what? What's that? Mm -hmm. I had no idea what opera was. So uh, she, she sort of, you know, said, well, you have to do a classical training anyway, as most schools do. And I was like, okay, whatever. It's like, but you could do this, you know. So after my first semester, she, set, she gave me a gift, which I thought was very unusual for a, for a you know, professor to give you. And it was a CD of the three tenors. And she sent me home for that for the holidays. 
And I was like, what is this? This is so cool. So then I started looking into it more and then I thought, okay. It's like, I'm like, if you think I can do this, I think this is really cool. And I saw some operas and stuff like that. And uh, I was like, oh, acting, singing. I started doing musical theater. I left that part out too. I did musical theater as well in high school. That's, that's also what I did once I got into choir. Um, but yeah, so it, it sort of like was all over the place. And then I just fell into this opera thing and that I could sing that way. I was like, oh, okay. So you trusted your teacher who suggested this for you and yeah. you said you had no idea what opera was about, but it must have struck some sort of chord with you that you went on and like that has what you've been, you, you've dedicated your life to. Most of that, of my singing has been in the classical realm. But yeah, it, it was so cool just to watch performances and really nothing was live ever because we didn't have an opera company in Fresno. It was, um, I'll never forget it. It was the one that got me in was watching Aida with Placido Domingo and Aprile Milo, a big famous uh, American soprano. And this beautiful production from the Met. And I was just like, wow, look at these sets and look at the, the music. I had never heard it before and the singing and the acting. And Domingo was just such always such a committed performer. I was like, this is so cool. Um, and that's what drew me into it. And the cool thing is that years later, I ended up singing with that soprano in a production of Tosca. So I was like, you were the one that really inspired me to sing. You know? Oh my so gosh. We were, we were um, cast off, sort of, sort of a sec- I was a secondary uh, character and we had some nice interaction in the, in the show and our characters did anyway. That's so, so it was, cool. It was such a cool, like, you know, come full circle kind of thing. Yeah. At so, the same time, I still listened to musical theater. Sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, yeah. I, I still kept going, even when I would go to New York and do auditions. Like, my first musical was Passion, and I got to meet Donna Murphy and, and Marion Maisie and Jerry Shea and all that. I stuck around afterward, and they were very kind. And I was also very moved by that in that performance in particular. It's like, ah, you can't do the same thing in musical theater. Like, it's not just, you know, the musicals that we knew. I was like, eh. But that one, I was like, whoa, that's, yeah, but- that's theater. That's amazing writing and good storytelling. You know, it was, it was cool. So as you're, you know, you're training in college, you're starting to perform, and you're, you're now in the place where you're going to make this leap to being a professional singer. How was that? I feel like when you're in school, it's this very, like, you know, contained environment. You can rise to the top sometimes because you have a small, you know, pond and you're a big fish. What was that transition like into the so-called real world? Was it hard to stand out? Did you sort of just sail through and start getting roles and opportunities? Yeah, you know, I think mine was not unusual, but I was very fortunate. Um, I always had this natural ability to act. I never really studied it, you know. Uh, but I, but I was always commented or commended on that, even from just starting out as a freshman or whatever, uh, well, even in high school, but, uh, it was something that just always came naturally to me. I think it was, uh, being braces and only child for about eight years before my first sibling was born. It was so much about play, make believe and playing around. And my mom would just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm a painter today. Okay. And she'd get me an easel and I'd I'd paint. And then I'd, you know, I would direct my own little shows and with all my stuffed animals and play the records of the Disney movies and stage them and put on the shows. And I was always like the prince. And my mom just let me play and make believe all the time. And I think that's really what started it. Because, you know, as children, we're not 
so inhibited. We, we just put it all out there, and there's no filter. We just kind of like to say what we think, and we just go with it, which we eventually somehow lose as we get older. We do, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so you feel like that ability to act and to continue making believe is something that helped set you apart as you were transitioning into professional singing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a talent. I had a voice. And, um, and I think I eventually realized that that was the case. I don't think I ever doubted myself. I was sort of very determined or I just... I knew what I wanted and I knew how I wanted to do it from the, from the get-go, but I never questioned it. I, I would just go out and try out and just do it. And some things I wasn't right for, um, and I wouldn't get cast. And sometimes I would. I'll never forget I had this opportunity to audition for a big opera called Elixir of Love um, and then A Little Night Music. And it was a production that was similar or pretty much inspired inspired by the New York City opera production of which it's a really great uh, recording of, or video if you've never seen it beautiful production of that uh, a city opera with a bunch of musical theater people and some classical singers as well uh, but I had fallen in love with that music again it was on PBS PBS was like my go-to thing you know back in the day um, and I auditioned for both and I got cast in both and I thought oh geez what am I gonna do you know like I loved both roles so well and I thought I'm really focusing on the classical but when am I ever going to get a chance if I continue on this path will I ever be able to go back to musical theater you know and I thought you know what I'm going to turn down this leading role and take the role of Henrik and it was Jim Coleman who was the conductor who uh, was Paul Gimignani's like second right hand man if you will right hand mm -hmm. man and he, you know, he's conducted, he conducted a bunch of like uh, musicals everywhere and like the national tour of Sweeney Todd, he's the one conducting the video. Okay. So this man had a wealth of experience and I was like, I wanna, I wanna work with him because when am I, when am I, when am I gonna get the chance to do it again, you know? Um, I don't know, I just went with my gut and whatever project um, moved me or I just felt like compelled to do and some things I wouldn't get, but That's I, didn't so get, I didn't get too down on myself, I guess. That's so interesting that you're you're talking about there being some sort of like inner compass, some sort of inner grounding. You you knew you had a talent and a yeah. voice, which is amazing because a lot of people are still struggling to recognize their own ability. But to know that this opportunity is is in front of me, this person is someone I want to work for. Um, just being able to tune into those little things that you see like might lead to something in the future and that that is an right. important thing to take. I mean, right. that is a lot of what it is to make your career, right? Is to recognize opportunity and, and not be too, um, uh, I want to say stuck up, but that's not the right word, but too choosy yeah. or look down on opportunities or, you know, people don't want to do things for free because they think they should be getting paid for things. And, and you just never know in these opportunities, how that relationship might lead to ongoing work, you know, for years in the future. Right. Have you ever had something like that happen where you, you took, I don't know, a position, or I guess this is one instance where you got to work with that conductor. Right. It's funny. I didn't learn this until later on, right? That all of these life, life experiences added up as a whole would inform where I am today. And, and, the same would go for five years prior to that and 10 years prior to that. You have to meet the moment where you're at. 
and you have to gather from these experiences and information and things that you've observed that informs you as an artist and i think and i think we forget that other life skills like you know um when i got to new york for example and i um had an agent i i start i you need it sometimes to just take work right as we all do like to make it happen because you're not always going to have all the gigs lined up so you would temp in new york I, that's the route i chose i used to wait tables when i was in college and then you know i was like i'm going to temp and just not work so hard um but I got lucky that I worked with a PR agency. Um, mm. And so I learned about public relations and how to write a press release. At the time, you needed to do this for yourself if you, if you were advertising for yourself and whatever, or um, you know, just how to present yourself. What, is, what, are, what are graphics like and how to, what looks really good? What sells? Um, I worked for Oprah Winfrey for O Magazine. What? How yeah. come I didn't know this? What did you do for Oprah? Who boasts about that, right? Like it's like uh, when you when you're trying to make this path, right? So you sort of decide like what resume you send forward. I used to have like a musical theater resume, then my classical resume, right? So you advertise depending on what you need to you know get in terms of a job. So yeah. uh, that's something that I did towards the very end, right before I moved here. Um, I was still singing, you know, but once in a while you would need to pick up a job, and this was one gig that I had. And they were so kind. Most of my jobs were like awesome. They were like, oh, I'm like, I have an audition. Can I leave? And like, oh, sure, Enrique, go and just, you know, come earlier, leave later or whatever. And or I'm like, oh, I got a gig and I'll be gone for three weeks. Uh, I think I need to quit. And they're like, no, 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 no. We'll just get a sub for you. We're going to temp for you. I'm like, I am a temp. Like, we'll get a temp for the temp. You know? <laughs> oh, my like, gosh. I was so lucky in, in that in that respect, you know. And I think it's, again, it's it's human interaction and knowing how to work with people. And again, that skill set came and was helpful for other things, right? And, and I had already been doing the acting, so obviously that informed that. So it's, it's all this intertwined thing that we don't even realize that we're gathering skills. Because when you wait tables, of course you have to interact with people and put on a happy face and treat someone who maybe doesn't treat you very well. Those are life lessons for theater later. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of love that stuff. Now that I'm older, I go, wow, that's, that's, that's how it all is developed for me. I, I love that you're without realizing it, you know, I love that you're saying this. I've been having similar realizations. It's sort of like you, you take this nonlinear path and it's frustrating while you're doing it. Cause you see the thing that you want and you're like, why can't I just go there? That's where I'm going. And life has a way of like taking you to these little places and saying like, no, you're going to come over here and you're going to learn this here. And then you're going to go over and have this interaction here. And you're going to learn about what not to say to this person or, you know, I, it's like you're a girl scout getting your little badges, right? You're like, you got to learn all the little life skills separately. And then at some point you like get the crown on your head. I mean, I was never a girl scout. I don't think you get a crown, but you, you realize, ah, yeah. and now here I am. And yeah. now I can do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you spoke about that. I think it's so important for young artists, developing artists to remember when they feel like my career is not going the direction I wanted it to go. You just have to go for the ride and just, and just keep after it. You know, I, I, when you, when you, when you're asking me that question, did you ever, was it, did you doubt yourself or something like that? What did you Yeah. Ask? Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, and I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I would just go out there and 
in it was of course it was horrible right if you don't get something you feel like you're not worth it or like it's not you know whatever you suck whatever I I never went into it in that way and I'll never there was one audition I'll never forget I got to a point where I just was feeling really good about what I was doing I was like you know what uh, I was fortunate that my second teacher really helped me just sort of get through some obstacles and really have a good foundation for my singing once I got with her but uh, I'll never forget this one audition. It always stood in my mind because I, I went in and I just felt really confident. I did my thing and they're like, oh, can we hear this? Sure. Sang it. Well, thank you so much. Wait, but can you can you sing this? Sure. Okay. Sang, I don't know, not the three arias, which never happens. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, thank you a lot. Okay, nice, great singing for you, blah, blah. blah. I'm literally at the door. And I'm like, Enrique, uh, sorry, would you come back and, and could you sing one more? Sure. And I was like, wow, cool. You know, like, here's another one. And that never happened. That's one audition where I was like, I'll never forget that. And I, I'm like, how did I do that? And how you think I it was that? just your energy and your confidence in what you were doing with your singing at that time? I, I think that's it. You know, I always, I had to find the pieces that, that spoke to me that I connected mm. to. And I think that's something that we always work on with students. Right. Um, but I remember I had narrowed it down for opera. It was just usually five, five, six, not as much as for musical theater. Um, but I had found the five that I knew that I could just do, mm. you know, and it was fun to sing them. And what I learned to do too was not to, I had an opportunity when I was around that time or probably before that with a director who said, you know, don't ever play a thing the same way always change it, always come up with a new way of presenting this piece because you'll get, it'll get stale for you um, and it, it'll come through, you know, it won't come through for the, for the people that are watching it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I used to sing Lonely House. That was like my big go-to. Uh, and, you know, I had staged it in my head and this is where this is and this is where that is. And, and I went working with this guy, stage director, and I master class setting and I did it. And he's like, oh, let's do it again. And I did it again. And I did it again, you know. And I did it again. And he was like, okay, I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> Literally. I'm like, oh, that's bad. It's like, you're always told to stage your pieces. He's like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, for your sake, he's like, I would encourage you to just explore it in different ways. And it stuck with me. And I always tried to at least change one thing. You know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to make it all up as I go. You could, I guess. Uh, but it looks scattered. So you think it through, and then you think, what? Today I'm just going to play one new attitude. I'm going to play something different. You know, my mm. focus is not going to be where I usually did it. I'm going to look stage right instead of over here. And it, it, it kept it fresh. Because, you know, I'd sang these arias, like I said, for a while. There's some that I, you know, well, when I was still doing it very regularly, they stuck with me 10, 15 years. Mm. How do you keep singing this material and not get sick of it? I love everything that you just said. The First of all, that even in opera, you find your core pieces that you're going to use, you just said, 10, 15 years. Um, and then I'm assuming you sort of age out of certain things and you're adopting new material. But the fact that you go through the work to stage it, you think through all the details, right? And you have to have that preparation in place. And then once you know the song in your body, in your bones, in your voice like that, then you can start just playing. And I think that is 
where actors, um, they don't get to with their audition material because they're like, I have an audition next week. What song should I sing? I'll learn a new song. And I'm always like, let's pick something from your book. Everything in your book should be rehearsed, thought out, acted. You know, you should have all of your actions attached to all the different phrases you're singing. And um, I don't know, maybe it's just being early in a career, um, you know, college students not having that many songs in their rep, but I see it even with professionals where, you know, they want to learn something new for the new audition. And what you're saying is the freedom to come in and just enjoy the performance comes because you've done all that work and preparation. Right. I had a, well, it's interesting, right? Like different teachers get, give you different skill sets. The first teacher that I had was so into text, was so into know exactly what you're saying. We had to read Uta Hagen. Like that was like our book for an opera person, right? And you were like, before I was like, oh, sure, everybody must do this. And no, not every opera singer does that. And not every musical theater singer does that either. But, you know, respect for acting. If anybody doesn't know that book, check it out because it's amazing in terms of acting and how to approach it. But, you know, she would she would always be after us for that. You know, you know, like if you're singing about someone or to someone, what do they look like? What color are their eyes? I was like, I'm just putting a person over here. What do you mean they have to look like something? It's like, well, can you imagine them? I'm like, I, no, I haven't thought about that. You know what I mean? Like when you're starting yeah. out, right? Like we don't think about those things. We just cram, 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 cram. And that's what I talk about people with when I work with people now. I'm like, well, what does is, what is so-and-so look like? Well, you're talking to about this person. What is this person? Well, I don't know. I'm like, let's talk about it. Let's figure that out, you know? And the, re- the more real you make that fourth wall for yourself, the more believable it looks, the more specific it is. So you've already made this transition into talking about oh, your students. Sorry. No, this is wonderful. Let's talk to, talk about, um, I mean, we're already talking about auditioning and right. how you're instructing these singers to, you know, make the world so much more real by having all these details enumerated for themselves. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, specifically singing. And I'm going to read a little quote that I found on your website that I think is so important. Um, it just reveals a lot about how you approach singing um, and teaching singing. As singers, we tend to overcomplicate vocal production. We laden our voices with false ideas and misconceptions in pursuit of a sound that is not the truth. Can you tell us about this? We're, as singers, pursuing a sound that is not the truth. What does that mean? How do we find the truth? Lay it on us. Well... Uh, my second teacher, whom I call Yoda, and you know my main main inspiration, and my main I still talk to her. She's ninety two years old, uh, sharpest attack, and you know just fount of wisdom, just amazing woman. Um, she's the one that would always get to me about that, just the clarity of my words, the clarity of my vowels, and uh, that was big on her. You know, are you singing the inherent meaning of the word you are singing? Are you, are, is that coming through? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, well, each word has a, a feeling when you say it. Love can sound very different ways or can feel many different ways, for example. It's like you, you need to make sure that everything that you say is conveyed with its inherent meaning. 
And so some, I'd be singing an aria or whatever I would bring to her. She was so cool. I could sing whatever I wanted with her, and she wasn't you know, offended by whatever I brought in. She just wanted me to sing it the most authentic way that I could. Um, and she would, one time, I'll never forget it. We still talk about it to this day. I said, you stopped me in this one lesson, and you, say, and you said, Enrique, are you singing the truth? This was the first time she said that. Are you singing the truth? And I just looked at her like deer in the headlights. I'm like, Janet, I, I don't know what you mean. And she said exactly what I just said. It's like, well, are you singing the truth of the vowel? And are you singing the truth of the word? Or, or words in this instance? And I was like, oh, sometimes. She's like, you need to be very specific. You need to know exactly what this means. And the vowels need to be the ones that are, the, the ones that you want to convey. So what? What would you be doing with a vowel that would not be truthful? Can you describe that? Well, sure. I mean, especially for classical, I feel, um, even for musical theater, uh, we're, culpr we're culprits of different, uh, what I would call deficiencies, uh, or, or, again, overlading the voice with stuff that you shouldn't be doing, like copying someone, sounding like someone, imitating somebody. And with classical, I would always thought, well, I need to just make my voice sound more operatic. So my ava was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you know, I was like, oh, that's opera. That sounds like in my head, I was like, that's opera. And she was like, well, what vowel did you sing? And I said, ah. And she's like, no, 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 the one you sang. And I was like, ah. She's like, no, can you, can you speak the one you sang, please? Really think about it before you, before you say anything. I'd be like, ah. Oh. She's like, is that the truth? No. Mm. All right. Your homework is to listen to yourself and your lessons and for a week, don't practice. This is one instance that she had me do. It was, I had this big recital coming up and the ava was always my, my problem. And she's like, you're not allowed to practice, like physically practice. She's like, I need you to mentally sit through your program and every time you, with your music, just play your starting pitch and like sing through your arias or your art songs, whatever I was doing, the entire hour program. And every time you get to an ava, I want you to stop and sort of reflect and analyze and tell yourself, am I singing the truth? And if you're not singing the truth, I need you to correct it mentally. Don't ever open your mouth for a week. I'm like, the recital is next week. I, I need to practice. He's like, no, don't sing it. I'm like, it's like, no, you have to promise me you will just do this wow. mental work. Wow. Promise, promise. And I was like, promise. And I did the entire week of just, every time I get to it, I was like, shoot, I'm singing. And I would correct it in my head. Okay, next phrase. And I did that for an entire week. I get to my rehearsal with my pianist, and he's like, Enrique, you sound amazing. Wow, you must have practiced a lot. Everything is just so lined up and so easy. And I was like, to tell you the truth. And I told him the story. And he's like, what? I'm like, she didn't allow me to sing at all. This is the first time I'm trying it. Wow. Like, is it really that different? She's like, Enrique, it's like night and day. You sound completely different. Everything is just based off of this aval. So now everything is really balanced, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I called her. I'm like, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do that with our teachers sometimes. You know? Wow. So just yeah. the, the mental oh, focus. She was big on that. She still is. She calls, it the, she calls your brain the master singer. She's like, in your brain, you don't sound horrible. In your brain, you don't out of breath. In your brain, you, know, you, you don't sing flat. In your brain, you sound great. And it's true. That's the potential that we all have, right? And then something happens. When we start producing sound. Well, because we, we start to analyze it and critique it as it's happening. And it's too mm. late by then. You know? So then we're not, we're not singing the truth anymore. So then we start to come up with things and you try to fix things. And, and it just sort of tumbles for you. Interesting. So it's, it's a really interesting way of approaching things. 
Um, you mentioned, you know, that part of that not singing the truth is is trying to sound like other singers. Do you think there's a place for listening to cast recordings, listening to great singers? Like, how do we balance that? Because, you know, those are the people that inspire us. They're the things that sort of teach us the literature. Right. But we also don't want to get stuck in sounding like somebody else. Right. I can give you two instances. One, one, one is a personal one where I had learned an aria, a rather difficult aria that I wanted to sing so badly. And I had this tenor that I just idolized and I just would just listen to that ad nauseum. And uh, still with Janet and I get, bring it to the studio to work on it. And she's like, I think she called it interference. She's like, there's some kind of interference going on in here. She's like, can because and it because it wasn't coming out the way I wanted it to, and it and it, it just wasn't easy. And uh, she had me think of the phrase. She's like, I want you to master singer the phrase and sing it in your head and tell me what you hear. Hmm. And so you know, I thought of the, the phrase that we were working on, and I sat there, and I get emotional every time. Damn it! <laughs> I um, I couldn't hear my voice. You know, it was the tenor. It was a tenor that I idolized. So my brain didn't know how to make my voice. It was trying to make that man's voice. Wow. And it scared me. It was like, you know, that looking in the mirror, those scary movies where you're like, you're standing in the mirror and then you like, you don't see yourself. Mm. You know, I had lost my identity to him. Not on purpose, obviously. I wasn't. And maybe I, I don't think I was trying to imitate him, but it just, that's how the brain was wired. That's what it heard and how it was set, you know, the chip, she would call it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't know how to do it any other way because it was trying to imitate that sound, whether I wanted to or not, it was trying to make that sound happen. And when you sang, it didn't sound like that? Not and in my so head. it was. I mean, not in my yeah. head. In my head, I couldn't even hear myself. When she said, well. "You know, what do you hear?" I'm like, "I hear him." And I was like, Ugh. "It was so scary." I'm like, "I can't hear my voice. How do I sound singing this?" And I couldn't do it. I wow. couldn't do it. I had to put it away. I had to put it away. And like, eventually, maybe come back to it later on. But what I find is so interesting is uh, I'll work with uh, musical theater people, in particular, is what I find a lot. I'll, 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 you know, we're work, we're working on something, and I'll be like. You've been listening to the cast recording? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's how I learned it. I'm like, that's so interesting because you're doing a lot of mannerisms that this particular singer does. You're literally imitating mannerisms now. Not even like vocal coloring, you know, but inflection or glottal attacks or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm like, can you not do that? Can we lose that? And they struggle, mm -hmm. you know, because they're mm -hmm. just trying to do what they've, what they've learned. So it's funny. People will bring stuff to me you know, especially now, um, all this contemporary stuff that's just like all the time. And I, I purposely d don't listen to it or won't play it something so I can familiarize myself with it. I'm like, well, let's just look what's on the page. I call, my kid used to call it the roadmap. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, let's look at the roadmap and see what the composer is asking for you. Or I'll, you know, I'll say, hey, did you know that there's something in here? Or why don't you try it like this? Or I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. And I'm always like, I always say, I'm not clever. I'm like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, why don't we try what he asked for? Or she, you know. Right. What the composer and lyricist put on the page for you to sing. Well, that's a novel thought. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. interesting. This phrase doesn't have any rest in it. Or this phrase has rest in it in these particular phrase in, in these places. 
um, but you're choosing not to do that. Why would this composer go through the effort, even now with computers, you still have to enter this, the symbol or whatever that you're looking for that simulates a rest or whatever, right? You still yep. have to enter that. Why would a composer go through that effort when he could have just written a whole note? Or, or two quarter notes if he wanted, or two half notes if he wanted them, you know? Why, why, why write quarter note, rest, quarter note, rest? Yes. You have to do that. So they're like, oh, wow, you're amazing. I'm like, no, I'm not clever. It's just what's said to me. Yeah, I, I am a total proponent of first learning what's on the page. Oh. And so many times singers don't know. They don't know what's on the page because they're learning from recordings. They're not getting somebody to play it out on a piano or they don't have the skills themselves to be able to play it out for themselves, which right. I think is so important for singers to develop. Right. And you don't, What's here's what you miss in that. If you're listening to like, you know, like Barbara Streisand, like never sings anything like it is on the page. And if right. you just think that's the way the song is written, you're missing right. something. What you're missing is well, sure. you learn the song this way and then you understand Barbara made choices right. that make her stand out and make her unique and make her sound like her. Right. And then you, you don't learn like, oh, I get to interpret mm. now. I pay respect, learn it, the, learn the ink, as they yeah. say, right? And right. then I can play in my own ways so that I'm not, you know, a, re a reproduction of a cast recording when I go into my audition. Yeah. My teeth, Janet would always say, you know, before you do anything, when you, when you want to sing something, she's like, look at the lyric foremost. That's the first thing you should look at. Do you connect to that? Do you mm -hmm. understand it? Do you understand its meaning? What is it trying to convey? Once you have really, really concise ideas in terms of how, what it means to you or how you want to interpret it, and they're really, 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 really specific, she's like, then go to the music and say, how does the composer elevate these words? How does the composer elevate their meaning or, or just the feeling of it by how he said it? Good composers do a fantastic job of that, you know? 100%. Not, yeah, not so great ones. You go, mm, eh, it's set all right, I guess. You know, I need to make this work. And that's for then for you as an artist to take it on. So that once you do that, then you can bring your artistry through it because you're, you're honoring the composer, you've done your own homework, and you're saying, okay, now I get to put my ideas on this. Yes, Right. And then 100%. it's yours. And then it's yours. Not that you're going to ignore what he wrote, because I'm not so much about changing notes or rhythms or whatever. Not too, too much, except for when you need to, you know, specific breaths if you need or whatever. But I always try to make it work with what it's there on the page. If it's undoable. Right. I don't just take the shortcut. I'll try it and I'll work on yeah. it. And I'm like, you know what? I can't make this phrase. I need to breathe. I'll, my, I would all, my, my first my first teacher would say, never sacrifice beauty of tone for a breath, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I love, I gathered that, you know, little, little, little uh, ideas. Um, but yeah, I, I'll never, that was a great lesson that she said, you know, your, the words, the meaning, what they mean to you have really strong convictions about what that means. Mm -hmm. Look at the composer, how does he elevate it? And then, then you bring your artistry to that, honoring what he asked for. And then when you walk into an audition and you hear somebody else sing the same song that you sang, you don't have to worry because you're not going to sing it the same way. 
Because you're not both listening to Adina Menzel sing Defying Gravity and going in with her isms, you know, her mannerisms, as you called it. You'll have two totally different nuanced performances. Right. Yeah, that's such a practical thing that you just laid out for us. Lyrics first, music elevates, and then add your personal flair. It's so simple and just distilled down to like a very manageable thing that you can do. Thank you for that. That was very generous of you. Yeah, what I find, sadly, if I can elaborate, what I find, sadly, is that, you know, I had a student on the national tour of Book of Mormon singing, um, he was a standby for um, the lead, and, um, you know, we worked on, we worked on all his material before he left, and uh, the original casting director, which was the original music director, just was like, ah, such a great, your, your eval is great, blah, 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 because, you know, someone's, I believe, I believe, I believe. Uh-huh. And, you know, he was trying so hard to, you know, again, I'm like, you've been listening to the original cast recording, and for Andrew Rannells to sing E that way, this is what he needs to do, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is how he's making it work. Mm-hmm. What do you, what, how, what's your eval, right? Don't just imitate that sound, because a lot of people just do that. So he, he worked on his own E sound where it felt easy and, you know, sits up in the stratosphere or whatever, in the crack of the range, if you will. And then later on, when he's doing the tour, you know, he works with their music, the music director there. And um, the guy's like, well, we, you, need to, you need to make the eval more like a certain way. You know, he wanted a specific sound. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he had to sort of alter how he did that. And did that vocally set him in, in a bad direction? Because I know it was- no, it's here's and here's the kicker, right? He he figured out how it needed to function for him and the best technique possible. And so with that understanding, understanding his voice and understanding how it functioned, he could give the music director a different color and be flexible enough to be able to adjust without going about it in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So you know? you've really got to do that work for yourself first. Right, right. Because okay. then, then you can be flexible, right? And, and you'll get that. You'll get, it needs to be faster. It needs to be slower. Don't breathe here. Breathe there. And you can't be like, I'm sorry, I only can do it this one way. You yeah. know? <laughs> and that's where I get starting with the page is what's the most important. No preconceived ideas. Learn it. Do your thing. Sing it as best as you can. Yeah. Don't impo- My teacher would always tell me, don't impose dynamics immediately. She would tell me that. Ooh. Just sing it comfortably. Just understand how the throat's going to function. Mm. Once it's really set in your body, then let's allow dynamics to come through. She was like, do not impose dynamics on the music. Back to the truth, she would say. If you're meaning the truth and you're singing their words with their inherent meaning, these colors will come by. These colors will appear and represent themselves in your interpretation. Not because you said, I'm going to sing piano, but because you found the meaning dramatically as to why the character is singing something piano in a high note. Or anywhere in the range, for example. And I was like, what? Uh, my heart is just saying yes, yes, yes. And it's something I I teach as well. And the way you just laid that out was so perfect. Yeah. That if you find the meaning of it first, the dynamic will present itself. It's such an organic way to go about singing right. instead of, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. It's really like you're taking the road. You're like getting inside the composer and the lyricist's mind when they created it because they made those words soft in this section on that particular note because that was the dramatic intent that they were trying to get across. 
and if they're so a good then, writer. And as an actor, I would think, you know, I would, I would call it, you know, I just came up with this. I would call it stage direction, hmm. right? The, the, the stage director is saying, do this here, play this beat here. The good ones sort of just give you the, the, the roadmap, if you will, the, the landing points, right? Get to this yeah. point by here, hit light here, hit this place here. And then it's your job to make sense of that. Yeah. And yeah. Again, kind of like the composer idea, right? Some of the composers are great. Some of them are not. So you have to make sense of these landing points. Why did he want to rest? Why does he want a piano? Can you make sense of that dramatically, right? Not from yeah. a vocal standpoint. How can you make that a dramatic choice? Landing at these places. Then oh it's my well gosh. informed. Then it's well informed. Enrique, that's so good. It's so good. Okay. We're, we've been talking about auditioning. Oh, we're talking about interpreting and all of that. Let's talk about some specifics of singing. Um, listeners of the podcast know that I am absolutely in love with the show Hades Town. It is a poem from beginning to end. It is through compose. It is, you know, mythological story. It's magical. It's ethereal. It's so beautiful. And, um, I was fascinated because the lead role of Orpheus, played right by Reeve Carney, um, who was in Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man um, musical so. as well, he sings falsetto all over this show, and it's one of the demands of the role. Right. And I was just taken aback. You know, he just sort of has this like kind of fairy essence to him. This like etherealness and then they played that up even more with the range that they wrote for him and I just found myself question you know asking like how do I coach people that want to audition for this role like are let me just ask you some of my questions like who can sing falsetto I mean we're talking about men for this right um is this do only tenors sing in this falsetto? Can baritones find falsetto? Maybe not as high as his. Just let us in here on what this technique is all about. Well, all of us really can sing in that, male and female. The male is harder to come by because it's the most unnatural, right? Women, for the most part, can access a head tone and can figure out how to sing lightly, making a falsetto sound, not a full throttle head tone, if you will, but it can okay. sometimes, you can make it a breathy quality of the tone. Um, and men, uh, for men, it's a little bit, I think, more challenging, especially once the voice of changes. Baritones tend to be the better falsettists. Oh, really? Yeah, you can usually find that. But there are some tenors that can also have really good access to their head voice, who then understand how to make choice between a falsetto sound, which is uh, really singing right on the lightest edges of the chords, Right, as opposed to making more full contact with the, with the vocal folds and more, more contact, less air passing through. Is this something that, you know, as people are doing their vocal training, this is a common technique that is worked on? Yeah, I think there's different schools for that. It can come in very handy in certain phrases, at, at least understanding head voice. I think in, in, in musical theater, it's obviously it comes in very handy for a number of roles that I can think of where that's something that you want to have a good command of. This role in particular, you're right, it's it's making a lot of demand of that particular range a lot of the time, you know, and, so it's and kind of figuring out how to finagle that in a healthy manner. Is it something that you can work to increase how high you can sing? Is it something that if, you know, if there's a person out there that's 
thinking I'm great for Orpheus, but I'm, I don't really sing in this part of my voice very much. How do I begin to access that? Can I learn to do this? What would you say to them? If you don't know how to, how to come upon it, certainly it would, it would behoove you to work on it to understand what your vocal cords can do, right? I get people, it's like, well, I want to sing this note. And I'm like, well, can you, can you make me sing that note? I'm like, well, if your cords allow it, if you have that vocal setup, then maybe you can sing this kind of music. But if we find out through our work that, you know what, your range doesn't want to bloom past a certain note, because even though you're using the best technique possible, this is what your range is. I can't make, you know, Mm -hmm. a baritone into a tenor or or vice versa, a tenor into a baritone if he's not a baritone. Okay. So let's say. You can work on it. Let's just say you can work on it and find the best and easiest production. And if you find that that you have the discover that you can make this sound, you're set. Okay. Lead us through some exercises either to help somebody discover or just to be working on you know, honing that tone and that part of their voice. Is it a particular range? Are there certain vowels that help us access that sound better or certain syllables? I I find that ooh vowel is quite helpful because um, of all the vowels to me, it feels to me like it's the headiest vowel. By nature, it invites more head overtone. Okay. I tend to usually start with ooh. Okay. You know, starting like maybe at a G or something. Well, first of all, how do you identify it? I think a lot of us are familiar with like the Mickey Mouse voice or, you know, some of the younger kids now don't don't know who Julia Child is, but that was the go-to sound that you would, Julia Child, I'm Julia Child, you know, and mm-hmm. you just make it a little higher. Hello, I'm Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, whatever. You just make that sound, right? So you're mm-hmm. familiar with that. You've, we've heard it, I think, in our growing up, or certainly we've played with that, you know? So then it's sort of like trying to figure out how does it, how do I make it function? And how do I do that on pitches? Right. So I right. usually just start with ooh. Just like ooh. ooh. And at first that might be like the most wimpy sound and you'd be like so frustrated because your voice wants to break or you can't get a good, you know, chord function. But all you're allowing is just for the air to come through. Sometimes it may sound like that. Really, really breathy. But see, when you listen to that, does that sound like the truth in terms of the vowel? No. I hear, uh, right? More, uh, uh, okay. So I mentally am thinking to myself, well, I want to sound ooh vowel, right? So I just, so you don't want to get too technical, which I think a lot of times it gets in our way for certain things like this. So I was just like, I'm really going to focus on ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, I hear ooh. Ooh, ooh. And already you get more focus, right? A lot of guys will do that. They're like, so scared. Like, ah, and they don't want to open their mouths. I'm like, no, 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 release your jaw, release your jaw. Ah, ah. Go from ah to ooh and just let your lips kick over. Ah, ooh, ah, ooh. Don't close your jaw. Ah, ooh. Then go from there. Mm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it works like a magic every time if they really oh allow airflow, which is the most important to pass through. So eventually it'll get stronger the more you get comfortable with that, just bringing the course. And may, it may want to crack around here, around D, yeah. D flat, maybe. Okay. Ooh, and you'll go, Ugh, right? So you back off the air a little bit. You don't push too much air through it. 
it's this big a sound. It's like Which is the same thing for women in their head voice. When they're bringing their head voice down into, you know, E right by middle C, yeah. you can do yeah. it. You can sing middle C in a head voice. It just oh, yeah. has to be soft. Right. Okay. Right. So it's a lot of that same yeah, idea. Very, very similar. Is right. falsetto just a male head voice? Yeah. Yes, we could say yeah. that or no. Yes, I mean you get to you get to places where you want to have a little bit more reinforced sound, right? Okay. Um, like like that Frankie Valley thing, right? That okay. gets a little. I call it more. It's more whiny. I would say it's more yeah 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 kind of okay. sound, you know. So you can start with even that, just imitating that BG sound or Beach Boys or whatever. It's like always very. Yes. Like it just feels there. I guess I'm all not into like of <laughs> your face to make it look weird. It's just where it feels. So it feels more nosy. And that, you just go higher. And is that still a head voice then? I mean, it's still falsetto. It's falsetto-ish, but it's got a it's little just brighter. More airflow, right? It's not. It doesn't have. It's not as breathy. It's certainly more focused. So you have a little more air pressure coming through. Right, and it's just got a more twang bite to it, whatever you want to call it. Again, it I just it feels different. If you want to go for more ethereal, which is um, the Hades sound, sound right? Sometimes mm -hmm. he calls upon a little more stronger. Color, he does sometimes. Right? Um, does is that what? It, <laughs> but then I have to interject: Is that really what it sounds like in real life, or is that a process sound because you're listening to a sound recording, which right. edits and this and that, and you know, blah, 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 make it sound as good as it can? So I, I tell people that's another reason why I tell them not to listen because in recordings things sound very different than they sound in, in person. So I was we try to go for something that's really not attainable. That is impossible. And I, when you were doing the head, the first falsetto demonstration yeah. and it was yeah. real breathy and I thought, yeah. Oh, that's so pop. Like yeah. that's so oh, contemporary yeah. pop music, all these guys singing up in their falsetto and then popping back down lots of high tenor singers right now. Um, but they also have certain kind of microphones and they're right. putting all this processing and right. different EQ on the voice. And then we hear it and we think we're supposed to be able to produce that in our living room with no processing. <laughs> right. And louder than the orchestra, you know, obviously, because that's what it sounds like in recording, right? You're like, you're just coasting over that really loud orchestration. Let people uh, think that they have to sing so big all the time. And yeah. when you go see live theater, you go, I'll never forget. What was it? Um, Evan Hansen, right? Everybody's like, uh, what is that opening song? I can't kind of say right now. Waving through a window? Yeah, waving through a window. They're like, ah! They're just like killing themselves trying to sing this thing. And then I go see the show. And first of all, obviously, I know that that's not what you should do, right? Yeah. But then I go see the show and this guy's like, like barely, you can see hardly any effort. Yeah. Right? So he's found a way to make it work, and he knows that that microphone is going to help him eight times a week to make that sound and still sing another hour and 20 minutes of worth of music. Well, it right? just points and out that... Instead of the orchestra. They're making choices in the live performance, like you just said, that are not the choices for the recording. The recording is one single time that they sang the song, right. but they have to sing it eight times a week. Right, and they can crank <laughs> it. They can make it sound like it's really big and full and all yep. that. But the yeah. microphone will only do more of what you give it, right? That's what I always tell my people that say yeah. microphones. I'm like, the microphone only, you give it a, the microphone is going to make more of airy sound. Yeah. Right? If you give it more focus, it's going to pick up more focus and make more of that. So when you yeah. crank it out through, you know, 
engineering engineered sound you could make it sound even clearer without too too much processing yeah no Wow, that's such a great example about the Dear Evan Hansen singer. Um, that song, it's it's definitely like one of the new th- songs that everybody wants to sing. I mean, new within yeah. the last like two or three years, whenever it came right. out. Right. Um, and I'm predicting that some of these Hades Town songs are going to start being those songs too. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I want to get in front of it and have right. someone like you that has this expertise kind of give us a little peek inside like you have. Right. So that people aren't damaging their voice or they're not feeling totally like this is unattainable. And that's a big thing that they're not hurting themselves, right? Because I, you don't want these poor guys to be trying to crank out this falsetto sound uh, with, with, without properly allowing their breath to make that function, right? So yeah. foremost, you know, I have a number of counter tenors that I teach that we all, we're always talking about, it's allowing the air to do it and not the throat to get involved, right? Because we can start to feel in particular that musculature kick in when you're trying to sort of force it through and trying to make it really, really, really loud. Yeah. So it's just really being careful and it's just all allowing airflow to come through. And then you just sort of decide what intensity am I singing this at? Like how much breathiness do I want to make? I don't think about these things when I'm teaching them or I don't talk about it, but how much core contact do they want or how much breathiness do they want? That sound? I remember working with you and you told me the breath is like a train track, right? You're laying down the train track that your right. voice is going to run on. Right. And that has stuck with me for, I don't know, 12 years or whenever it was that we worked together. Can you believe it's been that long? Has it been 12? I think ah, 10 years, maybe. Yeah. That's anyway. Crazy. Um, I just, I love that, that the breath is really the, the place that you want to begin for, for oh, all yeah. singing really, but especially when you're going to try these things that are in this upper range and you don't want to yeah. be straining and letting the musculature kick in, in the throat, as you said. Yeah. The courts, the courts don't come together without air. I mean, they just, you need a generator, you need yeah. air, you need yeah. air to get the, the vibrator to, to start to work. That's what I would do, just, you know, and they can take it higher. I'd start with ooh, and eventually I would switch to different vowels, just for you guys who are curious. I would start to take it higher and incorporate other vowels around that as you do that. You know. And just that five-note descending I think that's a good place thing. to start. Always a good okay. place to start, you know, and, and it's okay if it cracks. And really encouraging, I'm encouraging you guys who are curious about this to try to bring that head tone down as far as falsetto quality as far as you can. easily transition into a more full quality right yeah that's more that's more chest tone almost right there yes There's a lot of head in it see that it's almost like teaching a belter yeah right it's, you can't just yeah no it's a mixture it's, it's this idea. blend yeah. yeah it's always a blend right it should oh, yeah. be anyway and yeah. then you can keep working your way up and you just transition into yeah, yeah. Um, Enrique, this has been so much fun, A, because I love you and I love hanging out with you, but B, because I'm just so fascinated to hear your take on teaching and how you help singers, um, approach their singing from such an organic place. And I think it's going to be so great for listeners to hear this take. Um, I just hope that people can incorporate this and believe it and not, let their preconceived notions about what they're supposed to sound like get right. in their way. Yeah, get away from recordings. Get away from recordings. Yeah. Come up with your own versions. That's the best advice I think I could give anybody. I love that. Yeah. Um, if people want to reach out to you about singing lessons, where can they find you? 
Uh, it's easiest through my website. Just go to uh, enriquetoral.com. And there's a page there where you can tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, we can, you know, try to fit you in. That's the best way to do it. I'll put that link in the show notes. And then you are also still performing sometimes, you said, and you've got a cabaret um, that was sort of happening before COVID and and is going to be happening again as we sort of get back into the swing of things. And all of that information, I'm assuming, is on your website as well, all of your performance dates. But yes, yes, it's a... I did it in 2019, and then it was supposed to happen in uh, 20, and then it, we rescheduled for this week, and now it's postponed again to next year. So. Well, I can't wait. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fun such program. a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Bye-bye. you for being here, and be well, my friend. Thanks for having me. What an amazing conversation. I just love how Enrique has this super organic approach and just cuts to the heart of what singing is all about by like prioritizing the lyric and the story that you're telling. Here are the takeaways. Number one, you have to meet the moment where you're at. Number two, all of our odd jobs, life experiences, and skills inform our performing. They are intertwined and all work together to create who you are as an artist. Number three, when performing an audition piece a lot, explore changing one piece of your interpretation to keep things fresh and make you think on your feet. Number four, sing the truth of the lyric. Make sure everything you say is conveyed with its inherent meaning. Are you singing the truth of the vowel and the truth of the word? Number five, your brain is the master singer. In your brain, you don't sound horrible. In your brain, you don't run out of breath. In your brain, you don't sing flat. In your brain, you sound great. Number six, learn a song exactly as it's written on the page. Then make your own choices about how to interpret the music. Number seven, look at the lyric foremost. Do you understand its meaning? What is it trying to convey? Once you have a very clear idea, then go to the music and ask, how does the composer elevate these words? Number eight, don't impose dynamics immediately. Sing the song comfortably. Once it's set in your body, then allow dynamics to come through naturally. Okay, now I want to share a recent email I got from a student that I worked with a few weeks ago. Um, his name is Jason. I worked with him on preparing his audition for a self tape that was right around the corner. And here's what he said. Just wanted to say thank you again for last week's coaching. I submitted my video and it was a million times stronger than it would have been without working with you. Jason, I'm so glad that you felt that your submission was stronger after our time together. Um, after this email, I actually found out that Jason got the callback, which is such amazing news. So best of Best of luck to you as you continue that process. If you're listening right now and thinking you'd like to do a vocal coaching with me, or maybe you have an audition coming up, or you just want to work on getting your book together and polishing your vocal performances, you can find all of my coaching info on my website, coryyamaoka.com, and you can find out what to expect during our coaching session and also, um, you know, see rates and all of that. Everything's laid out super clearly for you there. Lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you're feeling encouraged in your singing journey, if you're getting value out of these discussions, please scroll to the bottom of the podcast app window in your phone and just click the stars to rate the show. And if you have 30 more seconds, click write a review and just write in a brief sentence or two about what you find valuable in the show. I'd so appreciate it. I know other folks who are considering listening to an episode will find it super helpful to know that other singers are finding value here. Okay, love to you and yours. Be well. I will see you next time on Studying the Song.